What separates the best businessmen, the best businesswomen from those who are just not the best? In this week's episode, we sit down with the great Ira Zlotowicz to talk about delegation, how to guide a business, and really, really lots of great pieces of advice for someone, even if you're not a business owner, but if you're a manager, if you're looking to scale up your skill set, he has a lot of advice. He talks quickly. So buckle up and enjoy this week's Kosher Money episode. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. If someone wants to get more hours in their day, right? They essentially want to clone themselves. There's only 24 hours in a day. What is the secret you found to success when it comes to adding hours in your day? Yeah, that's like the billion dollar question. It's a few points. You know, it's obviously delegation. But after spending so much time and working with people to actually get them to actually delegate and asking them in the beginning what, what their resistance was and then the same person at the end, okay, you're doing it now. What took you so long? What happened? What was the light bulb moment? It boils down to a few different points. The most important point I found is realize that you are right. No one's going to do it as good as you. Now, even though people say people are better than you in different parts, the way you want it, and that's why you have clients using you, it's true. If you delegate it to someone, they're going to make mistakes. It's not that a doubt. There's also, there's a fear of being replaced, right? The fear many times is that, hey, I have a client who loves me. If this client found out that every time I worked on his mortgage, the person who actually did it was this person because mm -hmm. I delegated it, then one day the client meets that person and says, hey, what I have to pay the premium to hire for? That's the concept if everyone delegates. So there's a fear of being replaced. Mm -hmm. Boss, worker, client, that concept of double. You're not, you're not as valuable to the person on top. But if you really look at it the other way around sometimes, I tell people take a different perspective. Take the perspective you're the boss. When you decide who you want on your team to work with you, usually it's not the person who gets all the work done. It's the person who tells you, boss, I got it covered. Why do most CEOs make money? Mm. Make the most money? Because they're basically turning to the board and telling the board, you don't have to worry, I'll get it covered. Most people work for a CEO, look up at the CEO and say, hey, why can't he make all the money? Why is my boss making the money? I do all the work. They're missing the point. Is that the boss's boss, bottom line, the company's working, bottom line, because your boss figured out how to get them comfortable and actually get you to do the work, right? Your boss hired you, that's what happened. So now let's break it down. If you can't get over that hurdle, that you think you can be replaced at insecurity, you can't solve that problem. That's the only problem you can't solve. And what I tell people though, is that once you realize that not only you won't get replaced, but you could take on more responsibilities, more accountabilities. The Jewish word I tell people, I train all the bankers in this word, says one word in the Jewish, in the Jewish word, that there's no word description in the in one word that describes it. It's called oil. O-Y-L. Oil. It's like in EOS, corporate America, they call it accountability. Who's taking accountability? But it's more than that. There's oil. Like, I take the oil, I got it. It's like done. That's the value. The value is not doing the work. Once you realize that light bulb moment, then everything starts coming into place. Because even the client would find that this person in the back did it. But bottom line is, why don't something go sour on a deal? Things happen. Why don't something go sour on a project? Things happen. Who's the one person that can make it happen? You're doing construction in your house. Mm -hmm. What do you hire? General contractor. Someone says, why are you paying a general contractor 20 grand? I'll give you the best sub, the best. What happens if something goes sour? You start blaming each other. You have that one general contractor. I don't care. The bottom line, this was a problem. That person has to take accountability for the whole project and make it work. There's no passing, no blaming, blaming people. So the way I tell people that once they're ready to do it, there's two ingredients. Ingredient number one is, once you're ready, don't wait until your day is full. Most people wait. Oh, when I'm full, I'll fill my day. Mm -hmm. No. 
Start delegating today. Because if you would start freeing up your day, you'll find other things to do that are worth more money. So it's a mindset, like try to do it in the beginning. But the real under the hood hurdle I tell people that they have to get over is that convert it to money. Most people say, why don't they want to do it? They said, listen, they're looking at the total project. I can do a project in 20 minutes or an hour I can get a project done. But now if I delegate it, that person spends two to three hours to do it because they're not as quick as I could do it. Plus, I have to review it after. And I spend another 20 minutes, two and a half hours of time being spent. I'll just have to do it in an hour and a half hour and just get it done myself. You're right. But now let's turn it to math. You're making $100 an hour. That person's making $35 an hour. That person spent two hours on the project. That's $70. You now spent only 20 minutes. It's $20. You're at $90. That's the whole project. You would have done it yourself. Spent $100. You just save now $10. Don't look at the, if the result happens. And meanwhile, the reality is probably in that extra time, you probably found something to do that could generate you another dollar fifty. So you get it in there. So that's why I ask people a lot of times. So I start the conversation. I turn to you. I said, if you were able to clone yourself, you felt not clone yourself. Let's say you did find that person four hours a day. Mm-hmm. You could free up four hours a day. How much more money would you make next year? Then also never has a great answer. Oh, if I have four hours a day, I could do this and whatever. I'll make $100,000 more a year, $200,000 a year, $300,000, a million, depending where you are on the scale. Okay. So now look at it. How high of a caliber person we have to hire? Don't think about their pocket, that they're worth it, they're not worth it. Think about my pocket. If I would go ahead, I have a great investment. People call investments now is all the rage. Should you be an LP, not be an LP, a GP, getting screwed, you're not getting screwed. You know, at the end of the day, the best investment in the world is in yourself. You're not going to screw yourself. So... Go out tomorrow morning and say, hey, if I actually got four hours, interview people that could free you up. And if you could earn an extra $200,000 a year, wouldn't you rather hire someone that's making $150,000 to come work for you? They could probably free up at least the four hours, maybe even more. But in those four hours, you make $200,000, you pay them $150,000. That's a 35% return on your investment. Why not go for it? Once you start putting all these things together, when you start watching on all these, you know, following companies and businesses and what they do, they just keep doing this in the beginning. They hired the $30,000 to free them up a little bit. Then they hired the $40,000 investment and the $80,000. You know, I remember years ago, I had a, in my accounting department, I had someone working with us and every year they were getting their raise. They're doing amazing work. And one year they come for their raise. And I said, like, what are we doing differently this year? The person says, hey, it's impossible to do more. I can't be more loyal. I can't work harder. I can't work smarter. I can't work more hours. So, so I said, basically, it's an expense. You're not turning to an expense. You're not a return anymore. So like, obviously they squirm a little bit like, yeah. I said, let's turn it to an investment. I said, if you had an extra two hours a day, do you think that you could analyze the company's data to help convert 1% more of our sales, cut expenses by 1%? I said, yeah. I think then let's say the numbers were a million dollars a month in expenses. I said, that's $120,000 a year, 1%. I said, how much, would, what would you have to hire tomorrow to free up two hours? When they took that perspective, they said, yeah, if you can hire someone, Part-time, $60,000, $70,000 a year, maybe $80,000 a year could free me up. And also probably I'll enjoy my day because I won't be doing the tedious work I don't want to do. Sure enough, I was able to give the person a raise, hire that person, the best return, everyone won. And that's how I felt I built the businesses over all the years by breaking down, not just on the macro level, but trying to teach as many people through the process that you go with the delegation. So let's say someone's listening to this, they're watching, and you just open their eyes to a world of delegation something that they were scared to do. What is the difference maker now that they've been turned on to delegate? What could make delegation a success and what would make it a failure, right? I imagine not everyone who delegates 
Um, do things get lost in translation? How do you how do you ensure that when you delegate, you're delegating to the right person and 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 you're giving over the right message? So great point. I think that what I learned as a wake up call, but it's not so much the right person, um, because again, I ask somebody. You know, they have this like this question sometimes. Can God create a rock that's so heavy that he can't lift up? I have this like this type of question. You know, and I was like, that hurt your brain, right? Yeah, you your brain, and then like. Can he do it? But God can do anything, you know? Right. And like, in my mind, is like, the answer is yes, he can. But the second he does it, then he has the power to lift it. You know, like that type of situation. Right, right, right. So I ask a person, I start the question sometimes, just as far as the right person. Is there anything that a person can mess up on this that you can fix the piece of? Mm. Right? Someone comes to me, I wanted to build my website. I have a big philosophy in business. Better than yesterday towards perfection. So if I have a choice to roll out a site that's not perfect, but I get it up and running today, I'm going to keep making it better. I'm going to roll it out. I'll say, no, you're crazy. You can't. So I'm asking you a question. He asked the guy, is there ever a company you walked into that you couldn't help? No, I'm good. I could help any company. Good. So make believe I called you in two months from now. You know what I mean? Don't, mm -hmm. you, if I, how bad could it be, you know? Right. So I asked the person, is anything someone can mess up that bad that you can't fix? So he says, no, I can fix anything if I have to. Good. So right off the bat, realize in case you hire the wrong person, it just means the wrong person means your return on investment might be down, but you didn't mess up your business. You thought you'd only spend 20 minutes reviewing it. You might have spent the same hour and you, and you spent money that two hours. Big deal. That's not a big issue. Most people have money to invest. No problem. I think the biggest part is communication. Having the same word mean the same to everybody. Because what I learned is that it's fascinating. Years ago, we took, I took my whole company to Dale Carnegie, a one-day seminar on delegation. And they said, the key is the same language. I said, what do you never means the same thing. We're talking English. No. I gave you the following example. I just drove here come here today. And I said, most of the time I come to this neighborhood, I take the streets. Sometimes I take the highway. The last hundred times I came, most of the time I took the streets. Sometimes I took the highway. How many times did I take the streets? Most times I took the streets. What's the number out of 100? 80%. Now, if your audience right now, as they hear that listening to this, would type in and they'll say out of the 100, what number? You know what your answers would be on that, on that response? From 51 to 99. Mm. You took it as 80. So almost every time I do it, unless there's a reason I don't. Someone's just, no, 51. Sometimes this, sometimes this. Most of the time it happens to be that way. Now, you want the delegation. And you think with certain words mean certain things like most of the time. Like, no, no, no. This is an SOP. You better do it that way. If there's an exception, you know, the terminology is the same. So, you know, one of the things I'm a big proponent of EOS. It's an entrepreneur operating system. It's how to coach companies, how to run, and amazing. So one of the big things they, they talk about that is making sure that everyone has the same terminology in the company. So when I said before the word oil for accountability, mm -hmm. that was the first time I heard of the best definition EOS gives it. Every project, there's one person who's accountable. They could delegate things out to people responsible under them, but who is accountable for the whole project? So when someone says, I'll be accountable, you know what it means. Not tomorrow morning, oh, I said I was going to take it on. I didn't mean dot, 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 or what do you want from me? I tried. You know, they give a great line. They give a great story and they first introduce it. They say, what's between a janitor and, and, and a CEO? A janitor gave a lot of excuses, the CEO gave none. Janitor, you walk into your building, it's all a mess. He asked the janitor, how come it's not cleaned? He goes, no one left me a map. Good answer. Go to the CEO. How come you didn't hit sales? And there's inflation, and there's a COVID. Huh? He didn't hit sales. He goes, what do you want from me? Inflation, COVID. He goes, no, no excuse, you're fired. It's how many excuses you can take away. When people understand the terminologies, when you're giving work over to someone, make sure they understand the task, 100%. So I, I sometimes tell a person, repeat it back to me. How do you understand the task we're supposed to do? Mm. And make sure when I hear it back, because maybe they heard it, they thought I meant one thing. And if you focus a little bit more on the upfront of that, 
you prepare better up front, the terminology, make sure you got it, that's most of it. So the one-two punches of in the mindset is, just realize it doesn't make sense to the person. That just might affect the return on investment. But it's really, most of the time, it's communication. And know it's going to be a mess that you're going into. You know, they took the whole rage now is ChatGPT and, you know, and, you know, everyone has all the different opinions of it. But the one factual part of the whole ChatGPT is that it makes mistakes. It's true. And it'll always make mistakes. But look at it as your assistant. So you start off, it gives you the, the beginning start. It does the work and you edit it. The document, whatever that you use it for. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's going to save you a lot of time, be much better the first draft than you do by yourself. It's not perfect. So it it's, 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 makes mistakes. Before ChatGPT, it took me an hour to prepare this document. Now, it took me 20 minutes. You're right. Then I was 100% of creative and no mistakes. I wrote it. Now, it was two minutes of creative, or three minutes creative, and 17 minute, minutes of correcting the mistakes. Sure. Don't care about what you did. Bottom line is, I now have 40 extra minutes. And that 40 minutes, what can I do? And that's where you take the, the, the pros and cons of it. We'll be right back to this week's amazing episode. But first, our official real estate question of the week for Shmuel Shywitz of Approved Funding. If someone does not have money to buy a house, does it even make sense for them to look at this option? Should they just be renting forever? Are they out of options? Tell it to us straight. Well, I would say, isn't that what in-laws are for? Mm-hmm. So truth be told, actually, that could be the right answer because a lot of people that we're working with, not just in today's day and age, but historically, a lot of people are getting help. So my suggestion would be if somebody thinks that they can't afford it or they won't qualify for a mortgage or won't be able to get a home for whatever the reason that might be, don't hesitate to reach out because if nothing else, you walk away with more information and you'd be surprised at how many people think they can accomplish something. We, we tweak it. We ask them some questions. All of a sudden, there is a spouse. All of a sudden, there is an in-law, a co-signer, whatever it may be. Or we drop somebody who shouldn't be there and they're able to qualify. But if nothing else, you can get the guidance to say, I can't yet, but if I do X, Y, and Z, I will be able to. So either way, the answer is you have nothing to lose, so much to gain, make the phone call and, and ask somebody who can give you the right guidance. And that person can very likely be Shmuel Shywitz of Approved Funding, approvedfunding.com slash kosher money. If you walk away from one thing from this quick break is you have options. And now back to this week's episode. There was this famous line at the recent CMI Shas where they said, uh, I think it was Rabbi Friend, he said, perfection is the right. enemy of good. Right, exactly. and, and people have that mentality, you know, as it relates to ChatGPT as well. It's not going to be perfect. So work with it. It's free to reply and say, hey, you got such and such wrong and I need you to edit it. Um, so you're saying the same mentality when it's, it comes it's, it's, to right. Look at it net. How many minutes do you know have to work on your projects prior to this person delegating and post? Mm-hmm. And also don't look at that person's pocket. You know, I remember that someone took over a business and they, you know, and before they, they were running a business, they were working in a company. And, you know, they looked at it. I don't know, secretary, I don't know. Like, forget about now, you know, post the crazy world we're in right now, so inflation and pricing and this. But like, historically, a secretary made 30 to 40, maybe 50,000. I tell us, you need an executive assistant. It's basically secretary. Like, what are the person's tasks? No, I was explaining, there's this piece called oil. They're going to take this burden off you. That person is worth a lot of money. And someone walked into the office, this person for a job, that wanted like 125000 Because I can't pay her 125000 She's basically a secretary. I said, bottom line is when you spoke to her, do you feel like she got it? When you were talking, she understood what you wanted. She understood what you're thinking. And if something came up, yeah, because based on what you did. I said, how many hours a day are you going to save? And stress level are you going to save? A ton. So I said, don't look at your pocket. 
but you're paying an extra 75, that's the best investment you made. She's worth 50 as a secretary. She's worth 75, taking care of your stress, taking care of the fact that you have now more free time. What are you going to do with that free time? You're going to make that quarter million, million, whatever the price is, to go in and get those things done. You know, so you watch some of these, these videos that go around. You know, now someone says, like, I don't even, I, I don't go to do the laundry myself. I'm doing it. You know, people are starting out in their career, the first moves they make because they realized I could pay someone $20 an hour to do that work. And my time is worth more than $20 an hour. So I get there. Like, you know, but there's a boss. I can tell you, I'm going to trigger now this line in reverse. This one time, how they get one person didn't want to delegate, great person, came to the person the next morning. I said, here's the new policy work that can be done by your caliber could bill me at $100 an hour. I took the pay. You want to do work that I think that the person under you could do? That person only makes 40000 You want to do it? No problem. That's $40,000 an hour. $20,000, whatever the hourly was. So at the end of the week, submit your invoice. Very quickly, started delegating. because I said, if you have nothing to do, I'll bill you for your time. You figure out how to delegate everything, I'll bill you. If you're working or you have nothing to do, you get the job done, I'll bill you the same $100,000 an hour. Within a week, they came back and they started delegating. It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, you, most people have a fear they're going to lose their job. They have a fear how it works. That's why I give, you know, I think the important part, I touched on it before, is coaching. Thank you, first job. What's your goal? Your goal is to figure out how your boss relies on you. Get your boss to give you more stuff, rely on you. At the end of the day, you will make more than anyone else on your team. Your job security will have. And then when your boss moves up, your boss is going to move you up to the next level. And you keep moving up that level. You know, I tell people, people say, you know, everyone's replaceable, not replaceable. I mean, you know, everyone is replaceable. Your job is to make sure that the person to replace you, they're going to have to pay more and probably need a couple of people to do your job. At least, yeah, you're replaceable. You are replaceable. But you don't be replaceable at 50000 You're replaceable at 100000 at 200000 And why? Because the company at the top is relying on you. When you tell them something, you get it done. So a couple of follow-ups to that. It's so important that if you're going to be a go-getter in your job, you need to be working for a good person, right? Because many a times you'll be a go-getter, you'll be working for someone, and then at the end of the year, two years, whatever it is, you say, hey, look how much I'm doing, and you've sort of invested all that time, and the person says, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you that raise, I'm not. So like, A, it's important, right, to be, to have a, a mutual vision with the person that you're working for, because the last thing you want is to invest two, three years of your life, and then come back to square one when the person says, yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking to play ball. I have a total different perspective on this. Okay, go it's ahead. It's coaching people. So first, I think also just in general today, we all work for LinkedIn. So we all work for it. It happens to be who's paying your bill, the company you're sitting at today. When you're working somewhere, you know, the concept of being Evan Neman, do the, the whole heart of a job. While you're working, you're not working for that person. You're doing, I tell people, like the Jewish word for ishtadlis is inputs. Your job is to do inputs. God takes you of the outputs. You got to be the best damn worker you possibly be and provide the best value. And work there as if you're staying there for the rest of your life. But the minute that boss crosses that line, mm. where now sometimes, by the way, you could have this false expectation. You decided you're doing the work of five different people. Like I'll talk about how I have a formula, how, how much a person's worth. Whether I get calls from banks and this from 50,000 people to multi million. How do you figure out the salary? I have a formula for that. But even before you start, let's say before they cross the line, until they cross the line, you work. They cross the line. You're going to get the job. Someone else is going to pick you up. Mm. You're not investing doing it for your boss. You're doing it for yourself. If you are that best damn work in that company, you care that everyone in the company knows the best employee in that company is blank. So if there's a competitor in the industry or someone looking for some of that skill set, they said, oh, you got to pick up blank because blank is the best. If you're going to focus on oh, wasting my two years, you didn't waste no two years. If you did it 
to be the best worker you can throughout, this boss just won't be lucky to have you. He'll lose out the opportunity and you go 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 play somewhere else. That's the direction you want to go ahead and get and, uh, and, and get done. So it's the mindset of wasting time. I don't think you're ever wasting time. You put it in, because I'm sure if you look back at your career and everyone looks back at career, the turning points in that career, that when that person, so you look back, most people don't have regrets on the history. That situation took them to a better situation than they are today in those in those cases that went through. So so it's very interesting. Now that I'm thinking about it, when someone's in their 20s, would you recommend to them to go and make as much money as they humanly possibly can? Or no, you're you're building your resume, you're building your skill sets. I found personally that when I started doing jobs in the real world, I was learning skills that I didn't pick up in college. I was learning communication, writing, you're, you're sort of thrown into it that now in my 30s, I'm tapping into those skills that I've honed from my early jobs. Had I been day one saying, hey, I'm going to go after every last dollar I possibly can, I don't know necessarily that I would have why is sharpened my skills. I'm actually, why is it mutually exclusive? Right. You want to make the most you can, but by putting the effort in, always be a student of business, always uh -huh. learning. And take that approach in life uh -huh. and for you know listen you just have to realize we're sitting here doing a podcast right and and today it's not really called a podcast because you splice and dice it all different places right. this whole thing didn't exist 10 years ago right so it didn't exist 15 years ago maybe it did on some but the way it works now and how it gets monetized and how it gets distributed didn't exist so you couldn't have thought about this idea 10 years ago you know it came in to existent and now new things are going to be created like you know with with using all the technology with ai how it edits things and how it works on things and so I think someone coming to the toilet is the same thing. Another thing which I got crystallization until I took this up, I had a very, very high turnover back in my first company. And the, at the root of it was, is that I would want to try to give people an opportunity and a job. So I, would, I merited to be able to train more people that became multimillionaires and some nine figures mm -hmm. than anybody else. But in the process, people didn't make it. It was a high turnover rate. But I was always transparent with them. I told them up front. And I spent a lot of time analyzing it. And when I took on EOS several years ago, they explained to me the following concept. When someone takes a job, they have to have three criteria. Get it, want it, and have the capacity, the capabilities to do it. Get it, do they understand the job? Want it, do they want it, and they're capable. And when someone calls me now, so it used to be, you'd call and say, Ira, I have a great guy for you, great gal for you. Okay, I have a job for her tomorrow. Let it start working, we'll figure it out. Bad, I don't do that anymore. Now I do it, start the phone call. I call the person up at the job, I said, what do you want to do? If the thing they describe is what I have, lottery, I have a job to you tomorrow. Wow. If it's not, I can't help you. The want has to be there. So anyone going into the job force, they have to want that. They have to want that thing. Someone who doesn't want, you know, I did the band surgery like 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago today. And I can't tell, by the way. Yeah. You, look, you, look, uh, <laughs> you look good. So I went to, um, so I, that, that year, it's called the Atlanta Club. It's like, um, you know, they have a gym and um, tennis and all these things. And everyone was nervous. I was nervous. Yeah. They'd say, if, you know, if you lose weight too fast. Or... I went every day for a year, okay, six days a week. I had a trainer in the gym. Then I, I'm not athletic, so I took on tennis. Because I said, tennis, you can still pay until your 80s. You know, I'm not that great, but at least I can exercise there. The guy was telling me once when I went there, tennis instructor told me, he says, America would have the greatest tennis players if the parents that wanted their kid or the person that's sponsoring to be good, wanted it at the same level, if they could match those two, 
doesn't happen because the, the rich parent that once typically was telling his kids, play tennis, kids, and when just he comes there late, leave early, he goes, he goes, you see that kid sitting over there? That kid comes there and he sits here. And he when the kid whose father's paying for it leaves early, he takes the last six minutes of his training. When the guy comes late, he takes the first. He goes, there's no SB want. If you want to play violin, you want it, you'll figure out how to do it. You don't want it. If you look at everything you accomplished in your life, it's really things you decide, I want that. And in spite of attitude, you made it happen. So you take the want when you're younger. And you might look out. Some of the jobs are be successful. But the high turnover rate was the person really didn't want it. Like I said, everyone wants to make millions. How many people are willing to do the work it takes to get there? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they have to have the want for that item. That's why you meet certain people who then go into altruistic work. They go work for community affairs. You're crazy. You can make more money. But like, is that the goal? Like, you know, it reminds it of the story, the joke. This guy's sitting on the side of, a, of the river fishing. And this old man comes by. Old man sits down, fishes, catches a fish within 20 minutes and starts leaving. The kid says, hey, where are you going? He goes, where are you going? I caught my fish. But you're good. He goes, okay, so I could go back now in 20 minutes. He goes, but why don't you stay here? He goes, what would I do? And then what? He goes, you'll catch another fish. And then what? You catch more fish. And then what? You'll sell it. And then what? You can buy a boat. And then what? And then what? You could sell it. And then what? You could retire. And then what? You come to the river. I'm here now. You know what I mean? So sometimes you think about a perspective of life. You know, in the 20s, you think one way. In 30s, a different way. In 40s, a different way. And then, you know, a person is worth a blend of what it will cost the company to replace them and what they could earn somewhere else. So let's break it down. You have a, a, a manager working for you. Right. And sometimes your manager says, I do the job of 19 different people. So you would pay this person this because of me and this, and therefore I'm worth $186,000, right? Bottom line is that manager quit. What would you do? You'd call up the local job placement place and say, hey, you need a manager. What would you have to pay? Let's see, you'd have to pay 150. This manager, has a job offer somewhere else, we'll pay him 150. Clear as day. It's worth 150. Let's say he can't get a job now. He get a job at 125. He's worth between 125 and 150. Sometimes reverse. Your company can't afford his talent. He's amazing, but you have a little grocery store. Big grocery store calls him. He could run it. They won't pay him 200000 He's worth somewhere between those two numbers. Because you're right, can the grocery store pay him the 200000 It's worth it. But usually it's between those two because it's usually an isolated like pulling because they... The new company, going back to what I said before, mm-hmm. I said before that a person should work for his own resume. This is the example. He was the best freaking worker. His boss didn't want to pay him. Some other company came in and swooped him and said he's the best. And they won't for this. Sometimes the new company, they think they're buying this greatest thing in the world. Like I, had, I had a broker once left me for a different company. And the buyer of that broker thought, wow, they're getting whatever. They woke up three months later and realized, whoa, that broker was great because the broker had a whole system around them. You just pull them out. It doesn't really work the same mm-hmm. way. Sometimes that happens. But you work a blend between those two numbers. So when I even have a secretary, or an office manager, or a staff person walking to my office for a raise, this could be $25,000 employee to a million dollar employee. I said, call up the local job place. They call up, they'd come at the proposal. So I called the local job place, and I told them, I have an amazing worker. Amazing, loyal, devoted, this is the job. What would it cost me to replace somebody? And what did they ask, answer? And what do you think you get in the job market? Because why does someone leave? If they're not happy, they'll leave no matter what the money is. If they are happy, they just want to make sure the price is right. And they've had an issue. So it's not, it's no longer about me versus them. But they say this story a lot of times that it, 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 for me, it's like very good to do conflict resolution is that try to make it like a third party situation. This uh, very wealthy um, shochet slaughter, had a slaughtering house and he's has this cow and uh, he, he doesn't show up. He was, it's kosher. So he brings it to the rabbi. The rabbi says, not kosher. I really lost like $3,000 because of that decision. But still, in the way, it tells the rabbi, by the way, how's it going? Then anyone in the community needs money, gives them check, money, everything is great, goes home. Two months later, he gets into a fight with someone in the community for $50. Goes back to the same rabbi to adjudicate. The rabbi comes back and says, sorry, you're wrong, you're on 50 bucks. He starts cursing out the rabbi, I can't believe you. 
His buddy turns him, hey, $3,000, no problem. Get 50 bucks? No, because 50000 $3,000, the cow was, I wasn't wrong. The cow's just not kosher. You tell me that I'm wrong and this person's right? Like once you leave the ego part of the system is, so that's all you have. So a lot of times, I'm not getting into a fight with you. Bottom line is, I'm calling the job placement place. What do they say? So now I have the numbers. 150, you have 140 job offer. And you can make a case that, what do you mean? But if I left, there's certain institutional knowledge I have. You have to train the next person. They don't know it as much. So it's not worth the premium. No, at least the starting point in the same ballpark. And usually you can be in the middle and 90% of the time. So that's why I was able to have these, these clarifications at any level. Once you're the starting point, there's no issue. Like I can tell people, once you agree, they tell you go into partnership, have an agreement there. If you have a conflict, you go to the rabbi. I had this when I opened up my partner 25 years ago. We never once had to sit in front of a rabbi. You know why? Not because we're the greatest people or not the greatest people. But once I know there's a formula of how this gets resolved, I was like, what do I think the rabbi's going to say? So before I have a discussion, I call my buddies and say, what do you think the rabbi's going to say? The rabbi will say somewhere between this and this, and I call my partner and say, let's just resolve this in the middle. Like, why go for it if you know, you know, like, uh, avoid it that way? We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, I want to show you the Twillery suit. Never been a model before. Yes, I've lost seven pounds in the last two to three weeks. You can direct message me how. But before that, I want to show you about Twillery. So this shirt, these, this jacket, this pants are all from Twillery. And you can notice in the back, there's a stretch. It's called an extreme stretch. So I could probably play basketball in this suit if I needed to. And get this, it's machine wash. So I'm not going to be sending this off to the cleaners. Every time you send a suit to the cleaners, start tracking how much you're spending. Because when you're finished with this suit, you crumple it up, throw it in the laundry, and then it comes back. You're saving legitimate dollars if you're sending your suit to the cleaners weekly, bi-weekly. There's real money to be saved. Look at that. Look at that. Yo, you know what? We got to show this in some B-roll to see how comfortable this is. Um, people are asking me, hey, what's the T on the side of your shirt? On the polos, there's a little T. It stands for Twillery. And if you'd like to be a first-time buyer of Twillery's products, go to twillery.com slash koshermoney and use promo code CHAI, C-H-A-I. It will give you $18 off your first purchase. There are minimums, there are exclusions, but all in all, there are nearly 200 first-time purchasers. I think Twillery has been a sponsor for just three episodes so far, and a couple hundred people are now Twillery buyers. So check out the suit. I know so many of you have bought the polo shirts, the shirts. If you're in the market for a new suit, new shirt, and you're looking for durability, comfortability, and affordability, Check out twillery.com slash koshermoney. Use promo code CHAI, C-H-A-I. And now back to this week's episode. We spoke about raises, right? How do you approach a raise when you're hiring somebody? Is that baked into the contract so that there's clear expectation? Um, a lot of people do take a job and it's when the employee wakes up and says, hey, you know, I've been here for two years. Can I get a 5% raise? Is it, do you find that it's better to have it baked in so it's clear expectation? Do you, do you find that maybe not in the contract, but have some sort of conversation prior so you know that it's not coming out of left field? How do you, as a business owner, work through that? So once you go back to my baseline before, mm -hmm. the concept of a raise doesn't really apply the same way as the normal. There's no 5%, 3%, 10%. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is, is that when I hire someone, 
Typically, a person comes for a raise once a year. And usually, sometimes when I'm hiring somebody new, so let's go in order. When I hire somebody new, we're not sure what they're really worth. I might say, okay, you don't have to wait a year. You come back earlier. But there's no number, no percent. I'll say, yes, the person, let's, let's be realistic. I'm hiring you for 100000 If we do this assessment, you're only worth 60000 You think we're giving you a raise? No way in the world. You're going to be, thank God that you have a job for 100000 And if you're worth $180,000, you want 5%. I'm always paying you market. I don't have an issue. I'm always paying market for each position. So once you have that mindset, the issue sometimes comes out is the frequency of the raise. So by me, it's once a year. The person could approach. I don't approach the person, oh, it's a year. You got to get your raise for the most part. Mm. Unless they totally forgot. They don't know. I know they're insecure to ask. So then I'll push. But at the end of the day, normally I wait for them because I have a lot of people come to me. And I said, raise. No, 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 I'm waiting another month because like we just launched the product by us at Transparency. So someone came literally yesterday. I was talking to someone over the weekend, catching things up. And the person says, by the way, it's also come to raise at June 30th. I just wanted you to think it's the, the right time to come. I said, you know, you come whenever you want. I, I would assume that we just launched a new product. We're getting new people coming in and using it. When do you think you'll have an idea how much value you're providing to that product? That if it's like nine months now, go for the raise now. But if you think the difference is 30 days, so wait. And that's my conversation with them because I'm not looking to get them or gain the system. But let's say they came today for the raise. And we were off by whatever the number is, 10,000. And we want to meet in the middle. The person will say, I, my philosophy is whoever takes the risk gets the reward. Let's say there's a range of 100 to 110. So if you meet in the middle, okay. We both in the middle, great, see you in a year. Sometimes employees say, Listen, do me a favor. I really think I'm worth the 110. You don't see it yet because it didn't trick like the example. The product just launched. You don't realize the value I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to take 100, but then I don't want to wait a year. Can I come back in six months? They'll make a decision, but they'd rather take 100 for six months and then maybe go to 120 and the blended year works better. But once it's gone this way, there's no issues. The flow of the conversation starts becoming in a much better flow and a much better timing to these these types of raises and these bonuses and that's why i you know i i could take a lot of pride of all the people who ever worked with me i never had someone that had to make a job offer and came to me and because they came to me that's when i gave them a bigger raise either they worth it they weren't worth it it's, it doesn't make sense i can't go better it's another thing you could ask for i didn't know part-time full-time these other flexibilities and that could go ahead and make that difference you spoke about partnerships right people starting their own business. We had Alan Rosenstock from Tom Shabbos of Rockland County on in our previous episode. And he said more and more, he's seeing that with the cost of Jewish living going up, he encourages and recommends those who can to start their own business. Because just, you know, making it as a from Jew in a job that we spoke before may not be an executive role. It's very difficult to pay the bills on that. Let's start there. What, what's your what's your take on that? Do you agree with him? Do you disagree? So I agree fully. So I want to make sure the answer is yes, agree. And just nuance is to hedge the high failure rate of businesses and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. I think that if the person's opening up the mindset of let me build a business that I could earn, let's say they want to make 200000 a year to get the $200,000. I think that's the better and healthier way to go. As opposed to, let me open a business, and a business means, I mean, you know, it's, if you take the approach, I got to keep up with the Joneses. First of mm-hmm. all, my personal opinion is, I think that based on what the economy is and the market is today, and I'm seeing it across across the board, is that the Joneses are stopping are stopping this. We're going through what's called the rich session. The rich are failing it now more because the rich thought they had investments that are not worth as much. Mm-hmm. The rich had businesses that were throwing off different cash flows. The rich are failing it now. You could say they could carry things longer. That's true, but 
they're not feeling the same type of pressure when they're making the same party, the frequency of the parties and the events and the, the same level. And they, if I was, all right, this example, this example, I never focus on the 10%, the 10%, they focus on the 80. You know what I mean? Like, let's go with the majority of people. So I do think if they go for a business and they're going to take the approach of a business just to make money. But I think it's also when you go into business, it's not about the glitz. And that's people I make a lot of mistakes. When it comes to the business, like this business and personal. So I believe honesty and Ehrlich guide has to go throughout the rest. That's one of the things like I want to take pride that there's no person on this planet that claims I owe them a nickel in business or personal. And anyone knows that if there is a claim they disagree, I'll agree even to go to their rabbi and say, let's sit down by the third party because let's say it's not on me, let it go be for them. So I do think that the business is a good thing, but just realize the high failure rate in businesses. Now it goes back to my delegation. So the delegation concept over here is I do think that partners, if you can't afford to pay that employee, the way we described it, to really free you up so you could do the parts of the business that you're great at, then you should actually take in a partner. So partner's not a bad thing. I know people make jokes, partners of financing, partners mm-hmm. of a Google, you know, different things. I really think that if you get the right partner, again, 99% of the time, you're not building a multi-million dollar business. And again, why did you go into it? Because I had the skill set. I could offer my services to a few different companies. It's called the gig economy in reverse, right? My whole company's remote. And I outsource almost all the work. So I can have a vendor who's great at one niche, and it's easy for me to pay the person three, four thousand dollars a month for that mm-hmm. company. They go find four or five companies, they have a nice living. So you have a better chance of being successful if your goal is an alternative to making your salary. That's number one. But I'm a very big believer in a partner. If it's integral to have a skill that you don't really have as part of it, you want someone that's going to sweat with you and want it the same way as you want it. When the tough going gets tough, they're going to work it with you. And the best way I describe it in the delegation and partnership more is, you know, and it gave it also a true appreciation for like, you know, the Jewish kinds of Isaac and getting married you know, a husband and a wife, that the common denominator, the tzadashav, is that both of them together could make everything happen. You know, so, you know, I got to realize when I was dating, you know, they always make fun of the family this way. When I was dating my wife on the, like the third date, I was in yeshiva that I knew I wasn't going to be a long-term learner. And, uh, you know, my father started art scroll and he started six months after I was born. Like the joke is he took one look at me and said, oh my gosh, the next generation, I better start this. Mm-hmm. So then we go with my wife. I told her, I said, listen, I have two choices. I could probably get a job at art school, get a salary, work for my father. I need a dollar to live. I'll make a dollar five. I'll be off on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And, but you never be rich. Never, you know, you, want, you have to get a, a, a gift, you know, a, a shaitl, a, a new outfit, a ding, a three yom taivim, and two, take two birthdays, three yom taivim, and a Hanukkah, and then it, and that, that covers it, you know? Or I said, my personality is if it's up to you, I'd rather like give it a shot, kill myself at some business. While I'm killing myself, you'll be poorer than every one of your friends. And I'll never be home, so it'll be worse. And you're raising the kid, you know? But if it's successful, then, you know, you need to buy a, I need to buy a pair of pants. You need to buy a shaitel. It's the same thing. You know, go buy that. That's the risk reward. And they were very tough years. Mm-hmm. And even after success, that's a major setback. But the idea that is a connect though is, is that I couldn't have done that in the household if she didn't take care of the kids and want it. If she would have wanted also be out of the house, it would have been a problem. She'd rather be home all day. That was the other perk. She could be home, raise the kids, kiss them on the way out to school, kiss them on the way, come back home, take care of them. And did that now... All the kids are married, so she's able to go she's a social worker now. She's able to go start a second career for a career for herself now. And what's the root of a partner? What's really you're looking for? So again, there's no thing as a oh, this guy take him as a partner, a good partner. It's personal to you. The personal to you is as follows. When someone describes someone as being great, what does a great person mean? On a scale of one to ten, they're probably an eight. Amazing person is a nine. No one's perfect. There's no one a ten. But how do you get to that eight? Well, you really get into the eight is you take all the skills. And you rate them. 
They're a six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Averages out. They're an eight. Who's a nine? Someone the same, six to ten. But one of the things they're a twelve at. So you throw a twelve in, bring the average up, it goes up to a nine. The only way to get perfect is to partner. If you take your weakest link, your six, and you find someone who's a twelve, and the thing you're a twelve at, they're a six at, and they respect the need for both, both of you, mm-hmm. there's no end to the movie. That's how you could build a whole business that way. So you where's the issue sometimes? You walk into a law firm. There's one lawyer's job is to do the documents. One lawyer's job is to be the rainmaker. You have to know, respect each other and know, I'm the nerdier guy and I can't go ahead and go bring the business or I'm the rainmaker. Thank God I could go out and party because I wouldn't want to sit there all day. And you're not going to respect the other person's role. Then you're going to say, oh, you got to party all day. I have to sit and do the work. Saying, I run the freaking business. I don't need you. I go tomorrow morning to somebody else and, and go to another law firm that appreciates it. If there's a conflict, if they respect each other's value, there's no end. So I could be in a business with somebody for 25 years and have no arguments with them ever. It's because at the end of the day, the stuff that they want to do, can I do it? Yeah, but at a six. And I'll be miserable spending an hour doing it. They love doing that and the vice versa. And I respect that they're needed there what to do and vice versa. The issue comes, by the way, which you didn't talk about here, is second generation. Why do so many fights in second generation come into a business? The issue is because when the second generation comes in, think about if you have kids or if you're young, think about your siblings to your parents. All your siblings are identical? No. Same set of parents, different personalities. Some of you are more like your father. Some of you are more like your mother. So why do kids fight with their parents sometimes? Because they, they see within them the part that they know bothers them about them. That's really the whole root of it. So I tell people is that if I went into business with someone and, the, and my strength was I'm doing the sales and that person's strength is they're doing the follow-through and then I bring my kid into the business who's amazing at follow-through and wants the benefit off my sales. So then that kid comes to the father and says, Dad, why are you giving away half your business to that other person? You bring it in, I could close. It starts becoming friction. Same thing the other way around. The business is already successful. doesn't need new origination. It's running. Who's killing themselves all day long now? The one who's an operations guy. If he doesn't respect where things started from, that's what issues come. But at the root, that's why if you're starting out a business, that's why when I, we opened up the business, I went into business day one with my partner. It was very simple. He had the skills, this thing, we went through. We agreed to, as far as there's two parts of it, there's ownership of the business and there's employment. The ownership of the business, we split the business a certain way. But if I felt that I could bring certain things better to the business, he felt he could bring certain things, just like I have employees. Let's go to a compensation expert. This year, I'm working like a dog. I'm worth a dollar. He's not working like a dog this year. He's worth 50 cents. Next year, he switches it. I want to quasi-retire. My equity doesn't change. But the amount each year, the management, how much would I pay a manager to run that company? So you set up the business that way. And then we put a line in there. You ever have an argument, go to a rabbi? Mm-hmm. I had one line there called good or yagud. I buy you, you buy me. So at any time, I could walk over to him and say, yeah. bottom line is you own 50% of the company. The company's worth a million dollars, in my opinion. It's $500,000 in goodbye. He could either accept it or he could flip it back at me and say, no. You think it's worth a million? He has you take 500000 and I take over the business. Mm-hmm. Once you have these two metrics, no big contracts and whatever, there's no room, for, you know, there's no room for fighting after that. It's very simple. If we have an issue, go in front of the rabbi. And if we want to just at any point just buy each other out, it's a, we have an easy way. There's no argument. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't believe after all these years you did this. No, we have a simple agreement. The company's worth how much right now? And after all these years, I think I can go on my own. You want to buy it? I buy it. I have a system built that way. It's a big mistake when businesses start out and they don't have even this yeah, small I, agreement. 1,000%. Just have a one, just have, just have the bylaws. Right. Listen, as Jews, we learned getting before Kedushin. We learned that the, the tractate in, in, in the Talmud 
talks about divorce before it talks about marriage. Like have the right. breakage first. Once right. you have that clear, it makes everything else much clearer. Because right. a lot of times I don't want to bring up that topic because we never spoke about it, how it's supposed to work. But once, if you had it clear from before, then you have at least a framework to work things out down the line. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, a message from Kolel Chabad. So many of you have donated to the needy in Israel, across Israel, north, south, east, and west. People are in need of food, shelter, clothing. Now we're recording this in the summer months. They have camps available for people that need to send their children off to camp and they just don't have the funds for it. So you can actually sponsor someone's camp who cannot afford it themselves. Uh, Food for the summer, air conditioning. There's so much that they're doing. Highly, highly recommend going to kolachabad.org slash kosher money. That landing page will change from time to time. So if you happen to be listening to this in the winter, you might see what's needed in the winter. If you're listening to this in the summer, you'll see what's needed in the summer months. They are very hands-on. I'm excited to actually be visiting Kol Chabad's headquarters in Israel um, this September 2023. If you're listening to this in 2025, um, I went already, God willing. So looking forward to that, looking forward to seeing the team there. They're really all across Israel, helping Israel's neediest. So if you have $5, $12, $1,800, $18 million, uh, you speak to the Kol Chabad team and they will put it to good use. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And now back to this week's episode. Let's talk about data in a business. Tell me the the Pashkiz story and how you look at numbers and why that's so important for feedback. The Pashkiz story in data is um, is more about... Um, that's was of marketing. Like when the first sales marketing business advice of data ever gave me is that spend more on marketing than on product. You want to build the best product. Like if you look at the art school product, there's nothing you could say about that Gemara that you would do differently if you were in charge. Because if there was and he heard it, he would have done it. Mm. Like when I opened my own business today, I, every time I said, okay, I'm building this product. Is there anything in this product that I could build better? I don't know of a single thing the features, the functionality, the, the brokerage, whatever I do, mm-hmm. can I do for cheaper? No. So to me, there's God could runs the world can make anything happen. But I went into this business, found the data points that I don't know of a better way. If this is what it, I could get it done, there's least room for competition. Because why would someone come into my space and they can't do it cheaper? And if it's the same price, what do you offer better? Like you have to offer something in a business. So the story goes with Barnes and, and, and Barnes Chocolate and Pashkas. Supposedly, they opened the same year. They were twenty thousand dollars. Similar companies, right? Barnes. So, so, Bar- so Barnes is chocolate. Is okay. It's chocolate. Pashkas is, um, Pashka is candy. Gum. Okay. And Pashkas started with eighteen thousand dollars. They put towards product and two thousand dollars towards marketing. Barnes put eighteen thousand dollars towards marketing and two thousand dollars towards product. And Pashkas today is a nice candy company. It's successful. It's great. It's a kosher candy company. Barnes is a publicly traded chocolate company. <laughs> that's what it went to. So like you know you you go that line. So that's what you have a mindset. You know, like how you allocate, where do you put it to? And there's big debates all over the, all over how to do this. And today, even listen, marketing is everything, right? So different forms today. It used to be you just go to PPC and now there's Google AdWords. And now and instead of Google AdWords, you you, do, you could sponsor podcasts like this. Or you could you could go on YouTube. You, a bunch of different methods to get things done. The conventional way is not the same exact mm-hmm. way to get things done. But why I operate data is that it's all about the data analytics. And it's all about conversion rate. And it's, it's, it's figuring out the top of the funnel. How many people have to come onto my website and that I know that a certain percent will love it and use it often and a certain percent of them 
will then be willing to pay for certain features I'm offering a certain percent of them. And once ultimately you figure that out, top of funnel, so as everyone knows this basic concept is that you put all your money in the top of funnel. So if I learn after a while that, hey, for every 100 people that come, I make a $120 sale, I'm willing to spend up to $110 to convert that 120. That's the concept. But I'm not coming from a different perspective, just in the day-to-day running of my business. In the day-to-day running of my business, I set up my business where, you know, going back in the mortgage end of it, about, I don't know, it must have been over 10 years ago. This was the biggest turning point for me in how to, in how to run a company. When everyone says mortgage business is just, you know, it's all about people and it can't be automated, it can't be this, it can't be that, broken down. I, one day, we were doing approximately at Eastern, I think the number was 400, for, for purpose of conversation, illustration purposes. We were bringing 400 new deals a month to quote out and we were winning the assignment of 80. Other people say this thing where they are, they go into the broker, they go into the bank direct, they're not buying the building. We're converting 20%. Okay. I wanted to go type 100 deals a month. So logic is bring 500 deals. 20% of 500 is 100. And that's you get your business. So I rented an accounting department. How many people do we need to hire? Oh, the average person brings a 10 a week, a 10 a month. So you have to hire 10 people. You need a manager. You need a secretary. The whole, gave the whole process, the whole cost. Let's say the cost was 30000 a month, just for argument's sake. Yeah. It's about to go forward. Thank God. This is the trajectory changed my whole life. The way I was able to do parents as, a, as I kept taking this thing to the next level. I said, let me see the breakdown of those 400 by person. Okay. One person in the company brought in 40 a month. And they were converting this percent of it. One person bringing it. And I sort it by percent. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many they brought in. Who was the, what was the best conversion rate? The best conversion rate was like 41%, something like that. The worst conversion rate was like 2%. Mm-hmm. So, well, this is crazy. Same company, same set of parents, same company. Whatever you could say good or bad about my company. You have this many people working in the same company. And if it shouldn't be that a few people are in, in 30s, 40s, and people under 10%, doesn't make any sense. So I started asking them questions. And, you know, a big part of us is learning how to ask questions to get the right answers. Like, you know, people go for, for, for shidduch, things that you have, for matchmaking questions, how to ask the right questions. That's what my uh, forte is on that. Because I'm a trained in this business. I was trained my whole life. I only make money when I close. So I have to learn how to ask the questions. So I know it's not going to close. That's the only thing I have. That's the edge, only edge I have over people that I learned. Everyone else makes money up front. Yeah. Pay my product and go. I learned the other way around. So I learned how to avoid it. So what happened is I go through it. I started asking the questions. And I realized some people pre-qual their questions better. So they don't bring in garbage. Other people bring in every deal the client's willing to send them. That was one thing. Salesmanship. But I came to the common denominator. The common denominator was that the person had a better handle of numbers, math, real estate numbers, like clip they had a higher conversion rate. They just got the business better. So they were able to convince people and work things about the business. So I called up the job placement place in Lakewood. And I said, I need to hire the best numbers person you have. The best, I don't care about it. I just get the best. The person like stuttering on the other side of the phone. I said, what's the problem? He goes, he goes I have a person with certain, I have the best person, but, and I don't care. He's sure, let me tell you something. I'm telling you, he's not that social. It's tough to talk to him. I said, I don't care, I'll hire him. Okay. And I said, but I need now someone half human, half machine. I need someone that could relate to that person and relate to my brokers. Because I have someone else also, but you know, they each were holding their career at 5,000 a month then, 60,000. So mm-hmm. instead of spending 30,000, I spent 10,000. That was also an interesting thing I learned in this whole dynamic here is that the best people are driven to be number one or at a minimum, the top few, you know what I mean? So when I went over to someone who was, we thought in the company was the best broker, I said, by the way, you should know, your conversion is not the top. I'll tell you something, that person wanted to figure it out. They helped me get the research because they couldn't live with the fact that they weren't number one in every single category. So I ended up hiring these two guys. 
in the first month, we went from 400 new deals down to 320. We basically, like I said, it's pre-qualified better. They looked at the deal wasn't making sense, and that's going to bring in garbage. So, and we maintained the same 80. So our conversion rate really went up, but not really. It was fake mm -hmm. if you look at it that way. Within 90 days, we went to 500 new deals a month and tying up of 100. And eventually, we brought our conversion rate to over 30% as a company. Mm -hmm. All we kept doing is every single step. We hired, I made a decision. We said, if we had had a better relationship with the banks, do you think we would convert out of 100 deals, how many more? Oh, for sure, two. And I knew two times five, because 500 deals is 10 a month, times a year is 120. The average fee is blank. I know. I went out tomorrow and I think delegation concept in reverse. I said, mm -hmm. I hired the most personable person under the sun who could get anyone to talk to them and love them and go to sports games and build relationships. Listen, now, you don't have to bring the business. You don't have to close the business. Your job is to become best friends with all the bankers, know what they're lending. And when we have the deal, put them in, bring them to, to me and I'll close the deal. Mm. And I said, you're willing to pay me that kind of money for that and spend me on flights and tickets and that, all day long because that person wants to make a few hundred thousand, but as a company make a million. Mm. So it, was, well, it kept getting a return. And I keep taking these things and I kept moving every single day. But also the added perk was as people were successful, they naturally were feeling better. They're naturally more making more money. And it starts self-propelling. Like, there is this thing that, you know, when one of the marathons in the bike for the for, for biking, they figured out how to get the bike to go number one. He went under the tire and they figured out how to get it half a second better this way. Each yeah. part, before you right. knew it, a, that's the way I felt it, breaking down the data. Today with analytics, today with AI, that's where a company doesn't use it. Like, how do you operate without the proper analytics, proper right. reporting? I get reporting now, like amazing reporting, but I make sure the reporting, I teach the trend. I'll end with this on this data thing. I had a person doing reporting for him. If they need a report, run a report. Person comes to me one day for a raise. I said, why should I pay you more? Because I need more to live. This is to basically be an expense for me. Doesn't make sense. So obviously he squirmed or whatever. I said, listen, I should tell you how you want to change your game. You run my reports. You never once asked me why you want to report. If you start asking me why I want to report, you could actually give me intel. You'll actually know when you're under the hood doing things, that's going to be the number, what you could change. You know, I just gave it out to the market for your calculator for underwriting. Mm -hmm. But until now, someone wants to underwrite a real estate. I have to go to an underwriter. I can't understand it. Then I Three minutes underwrite a deal with the splits are. Give you the tools to do, like ChatGPT in your hands. So this person comes to me and says, start asking questions. Say, come back to me in two months. And you see the difference. It wasn't the next two months. My whole business is run differently. Because this person started asking me about reports. And say, based on this report, why do you care about this? And based on this, you know, I was looking at the numbers. And why don't you go to this broker that converted? You know, that's the first time converting a deal in two months. And find out why this guy did nine deals this month. Started bringing me data that I was to act upon and grow the company. And this is how every single person in a while could be worth to wrap this all into a bow. Right. Egg walks me for his raise. He's like, I'm worth, you have to replace me. Yeah, you're going to get a good uh, numbers guy. But does that person also understand the analytic part of your business that helps you steer the ship how you want to run your business? Gets that the values that, yeah, you can, on paper, you're right. I'm, most of the people working with me, if they left, they're leaving for a lower job. Because it's not that I'm the nicest guy in the world, but that I'm setting them up that while they're here, they're providing value running the company with me. So if they left on paper, what are you? I'm a, you know, there's a guy for, for, for um, he worked for AT&T, a tax in-house. He came with an idea for AT&T, it saved him a billion dollars in taxes. You know what he got? A $50,000 bonus. Some people say, crazy a nerve. Why is it a nerve? The reason why he was earning a million dollars a year salary is because he was capable of coming with that idea. If he would have been working for me, he wouldn't have saved me a billion dollars. The smart people look at it that way. The other people look at it when it's true. If I would call AT&T, listen here, I have this idea, I could save you a billion. Would you give me 200 million? Of course, I signed the dotted line. That's business. If the, you know, there's a relationship, you're a worker, you're not a pot. That's how it goes in there. Beautiful. Wow. Okay, so we did a lot here. I mean, I think the people listening, they don't have to go to college anymore. <laughs> they uh, Go to ChatGPT. Go to ChatGPT. 
what would be your closing remarks, right? There's a, a lot of people out there that are looking for success. They're looking, you know, we're in a, a tough money market right now. Everyone's looking to make more money. And and like you said, it's not even just about driving the nicest car and they're doing it for just to get by, right? Not to fall yeah. into debt. What would be your your closing remarks? What would be your message to those people to leave them with that, you know, hope and before we get there, if someone did want to reach out to you, just to so to reach yeah, out what's to the me, best way? I, I give my cell phone. I have one number, one cell phone. This is it. Okay. Um, wow. Nine one seven five nine seven two one nine seven. Best is the WhatsApp or text. I'll respond to. You I'll might, see everything. You might get hundreds of. Okay. Hopefully. Okay. If I'm able to help that many people. That's what I'm on the planet for. That's God how they came you. here to the planet for. And my email: irz at gparency. I r a z at gparency. G p a r e n c y. Dot com. We'll put it in the show yeah. notes. So just to, to answer this, I think though, listen, whatever you're doing now, you know, keep progressing on the same path that you're working on. And just the motto I say is live for today without sacrificing tomorrow. Don't just listen to this podcast or other past and take this big jump tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Make sure that every move you do, if it doesn't work, you're not worse than you were before. So, you know, before you take that risk, do something at night. See if you can take on a small project at night. Something that you could do on a weekend, you know, you're working eight hours a day, you have 24 hours in a day. This time you could, you know, get things going. And I got a big inspiration when I read the Rechaim Kanievsky book. You know, so I'm like, wow, we, we met him how life. Like, you know what you crammed into a day? Like, you know, you think back, like, you, is that the, live for today without sacrificing tomorrow. But if I could end really on two, on the religious side of this. This is why I was brought up my father. And it's it's all about davening, talking to God. Before you go to a meeting, say that capital to him, that Psalms. Then ask God in simple English. My father used to say, I used to go, I was fortunate enough to sit by him, Yom Kippur, every year. Even when I married, went back to for Yom Kippur. And it's saying the holiest day of the year, the holiest place in the Anyam Kippur. Where does the Kohen Gadol, where does the high, high priest go? He goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And what does he pray for? You think he's praying high, this thing. No, he prays for the livelihood of the Jewish people. Yeah. He doesn't just pray for them. He says, God, don't listen to the tourists that don't want rain because they're here on vacation. We need rain. Talk to mundane. What's bothering you right now? Yeah. It's a relationship, relationship with God. Talk to them, daven to them, have it. That's one. The second thing is make God your partner. There's big people pushing this homish thing, 20%. I hear tons of stories of people who took that were successful that way. Make God your partner. But I said, make it now. If you're going to give 10%, 20%, don't say, when I become rich, I'll give. No. Struggle now. And give the money. Then say, God, while I'm struggling, I'm giving. Imagine when you when you make it rain on me. Mm. And I'll end with a signature story that you know everyone tells me. This is the, 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 um, I can put some links on the davening, sure. uh, certain links I'll send you. But I'll tell you the signature story that I say this about the davening and that Every, you know, statistics, numbers, all this going to, you know, you know, God can make it happen for you. This person is in, um, the person owns a candy store. He's looking out the window of the candy store and he sees a kid standing there. Kid looking in the window. He tells the kid, hey, come inside. Take any candy you want. Now he offers him a candy. Kid looks at the candy and says, no, thank you. But he stays outside staring in the window. Says, Maybe he didn't like the candy he offered him. This is okay. I'll give him another candy. I'll give him a choice. Come and pick any candy you want. Kid looks around, says, thank you. and walks out. Doesn't take a candy. Maybe he doesn't want one candy. He wants multiple candies. He tells the kid, come inside. He goes, take whatever you want. Put your hand in the bucket. Whatever you take is yours. The kid looks around. says, no, thank you. And he walks out. The owner's really frustrated. He's not giving him a choice. He goes, you come inside. The owner went to one of the places of the candy. Puts his hands into it. Picks it up. Tells the kid to hold out his shirt so he can even hold all the candy. And the kid is smiling. He says, thank you so much. Starts walking out. So the owner says, no, no, no. Before you walk, tell me what happened. How come you didn't take before? He says, look at your hands. Look at my hands. How much candy can I have gotten in my hands? But look how much candy you're able to give me. We say every single day, Bahashri, three times. Say it to God. 
Open up your hands and give us. You're davening, you're giving tzedakahs, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're it doesn't make a difference for Hashem to give you a dollar, a million dollars, a hundred million dollars, a billion dollars. Sometimes a guy comes to you in life, he asks you for money, you could save his whole life. Before Yantif, you write him a check for $1,800, $600. He's, he's, he's the happiest guy who goes on for Yantif. Thank God, God. I changed his life. Changed my life. I want 10 million. I want 100 million. I want 5 million. And but, that's the extra kavana there. So I thank you for this opportunity and hope that uh, inspired people. Yeah, if you have uh, any questions, comments, uh, email, text Ira. And really appreciate you coming down. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Kosher Money with Ira Zlotowicz. Thank you to our sponsors, Twillery, Approved Funding, and Kolal Chabad. We have so much more in store working on some special episodes. Thank you to our friends at livingsmarterjewish.org. If you need a financial resource, a coach, someone to help you invest at free of charge, look them up if you need a resource and you want to pay. Maybe they can even help you level up um, but they're an excellent starting point, livingsmarterjewish.org. They're helping thousands and thousands of families and individuals. Thank you to our friends at Mishpacha. They are generating bonus content. So pick up a magazine and you might just see more on this week's episode in the print or mishpacha.com digital version. There's bonus video there as well. Thank you to my brother Yaakov, who is the executive producer of the Living Lachaim Network. Many, many different podcasts working on maybe a new studio so in a few weeks a few months you might see us in a beautiful new studio if you want to be the sponsor of the podcast studio look us up livinglachaim.com slash suggest if you have guest recommendations if you have um suggestions on who we should have on who what topics we should be discussing um if you have criticism we love it all and we do our best to reply. We're getting so many emails coming in. Um, we're also on WhatsApp. We have a free call-in feature. So if you do not have access to the internet or if you have a cousin who doesn't have access, hundreds and hundreds of people are literally calling in weekly to our free call-in feature. We're in, we have a phone number in the US, in Israel, I think in England. Um, those are all in the show notes. And we're excited. We're just getting warmed up. I'm excited to... Um, partner with my brother in this endeavor. It's been really, really cool to meet so many different people and maybe one day I'll get to meet you. That'll be my success in all of this. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. I'm Ellie Langer and I'm out. Living L'chaim.